Welcome to the LifeSpring Church Podcast. May the Word of God be a blessing to you. Connect with us and consider giving online at lifespringchurch.us. So we're kicking off stewardship February. February, we normally have a message or a few messages about stewardship. And, and this year I felt led to kind of just take a step back. And it's been a little while since we really took a deep dive into what stewardship is and what stewardship means and the biblical principles surrounding stewardship and all that's involved. And so we're going to take the next few Sundays and really dive into stewardship. So this is our stewardship series in February. I'll just give you a heads up. Today we're going to talk about stewardship. What is it? It's a great question. Next Sunday, we're going to talk about stewardship tithing. What is tithing? What is, is tithing in the Bible? What does the Bible say about tithing? The following Sunday, we'll talk about stewardship as an offering in our offerings. The Bible has specific instructions for us, prescription for us regarding tithing. And then the Bible also speaks to us about what it means to give an offering. And then... The following Sunday, we will have a commitment Sunday where I'll ask the church for you to individually make a stewardship commitment to God. And so this is kind of the layout for the next several Sundays here at LifeSpring Church. Today, we're going to start with stewardship. What is it? What is stewardship? Well, I'll tell you what stewardship is. There are three principles of being a steward, and we're going to talk about those today. If you have your Bible, let's go to the book of Genesis, chapter 39. Genesis chapter 39. If you've been reading through your Bible, you've probably read through this story in the last few weeks, days. Everybody still on track with your Bible reading? People got plans for today to be Makeup Sunday, catch up. Don't try and do it all in one day, you'll get burnt out. Just read twice as many readings for the next week and you'll be got back up. Or maybe it's three times, it just depends on how far behind you are. Genesis 39, let's read. And Joseph was brought down to Egypt, and Potiphar, an officer of Pharaoh, captain of the guard, an Egyptian, brought him, brought him of the hands of the Ishmaelites, which had bought him down thither. Pause. You're familiar with the story of Joseph, right? His brothers didn't like him, were jealous of his coat. They beat him up, threw him in a pit. Their intention was to kill him. But his older brother saved his life, convinced them that let's just sell him off and let him be a slave. We'll sell him and get him out of here. So they sold him to the Ishmaelites. The Ishmaelites went to Egypt. The Ishmaelites put him on the auctioning block of slavery, and Potiphar bought him. And Potiphar took him home, and this is where we are. Potiphar, a captain of the guard, an Egyptian, bought him. Verse 2, and the Lord was with Joseph. And he was a prosperous man, and he was in the house of his master, the Egyptian. 
And his master saw that the Lord was with him and that the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. And Joseph found grace in his sight and he served him and he made him overseer over his house. And all that he had, he put into his hand. It's pretty incredible. The one he had enslaved, eventually he empowered. He bought him to do a task, but in the end, he entrusted him to have rule over his entire household. It's pretty crazy. Verse 5, and it came to pass from the time that he made him overseer of, of, in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for, Jake, for Joseph's sake. And the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in his house and in the field, and he left all that he had in Joseph's hand, and he knew not aught he had. He didn't even know what he had. Save the bread which he did eat, and Joseph was a goodly person and well favored. Slide your finger down the page. We'll go to verse 20. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, a place where the king's prisoners were bound, and he was there in the prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand, catch this, all the prisoners that were in the prison, and whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The keeper of the prison looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him, and that which he did, the Lord made it prosper. You can be seated. How incredible is the life of Joseph? I often pray, and I would invite you to pray the same prayer. Lord, let us have the favor of Joseph in our lives. Everywhere that Joseph went, he found favor. He found favor in Potiphar's eyes. He found favor in the jailer's eyes, and if you read the rest of the story, he found favor in Pharaoh's eyes. He was always being blessed. Joseph is to us a great example of what stewardship is. In Potiphar's house and in prison, he managed all with integrity and honesty. Joseph didn't own anything in Potiphar's house. Joseph didn't own anything in the jail. Yet he had control over all of it. Joseph exemplifies to us the three principles of stewardship that we're going to talk about today. And the first principle of stewardship is the principle of ownership. How many people own a car? That's a trick question. How many people have a car that you're making a payment on? You don't own it yet. Newsflash. You are in joint ownership with the bank on your vehicle. But once you pay off that vehicle, you will then be the sole owner of that vehicle. Let's talk about the principle of ownership. Psalms 24 and 1. If the devil ever comes and starts beating up on you, remind him of this verse. 
Psalms 24 and 1. The earth is the Lord's and the fullness thereof, the world and all that dwell therein. Hey, devil, you don't own nothing. God owns everything. God owns the earth, everything in the earth, and everything that dwells in the earth. God owns the atmosphere around the earth. God owns the hills of the earth. God owns the gold in the hills of the earth. God owns the cattle on the hills. God owns the wild coyotes that run. God owns the people in the earth. God owns everything that he blesses his people with in the earth. The principle of ownership is simply this, that God is the true owner of everything. Let me break that down and make it a little bit plainer. Everything belongs to God. This is a, a shift that has to happen in our mind because we live in a very secular world that says, well, I worked for it and I, I did everything I could to earn it and, and I made payments on that car and so now it's mine. Is it? Is it? Because if it, if it wasn't for God giving you breath to live today and energy to work the job that you worked and favor with your boss to let him pay you a, a decent wage and, and you didn't have the ability from God to reconcile your budget and you were not able to make your car payment and you wouldn't have a car. So everything belongs to God. My life belongs to God. My breath belongs to God. Every possession that I have belongs to God. Ownership. Everything belongs to God. There is nothing that we have or possess that isn't owned by God. So when your car breaks down, you can go to the owner. Lord, it's your car. It ain't working. And he's going to say, all right, I'll give you overtime next week to pay the mechanic to fix that. Everything comes from God. Every blessing comes from above. Every act of favor in this world is God showing his favor to us. God owns everything. Let's go to John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God. And the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. Now some of you think I'm getting ready to preach a doctrinal message on the God manifested in flesh. That's not what I'm preaching today. Hold on. Verse 3 pulls it together. All things were made by him and without him was not anything made that was made. Everything that exists, exists because God created it. So we have to understand the difference between creation and manufacturing. Heavy emphasis on the man in manufacturing. God creates all that there is because he's the creator. And as the creator, he owns it. Humanity, through its gifts, knowledge, talents, intellect, has the ability to take the things that God has created, put them together, and manufacture other products. You may wear a wedding ring that's made out of fine, precious metals. God created the metals. A jeweler in their craftsmanship formed it, 
manufactured it into a ring. The word manufacture, it's, it's something that's made by hand. That's the, that's the history of the word manufacturer. Man takes resources that already exist and transforms it into a tool or a usable object. Another example would be a potter takes clay that God created and places it on a wheel and through the craftsmanship of his hands and the spinning of the potter's wheel, that potter then takes the clay that was created and manufactures pottery. God owns the pottery because God owns the clay. God owns the pottery because God owns the talent that he put on loan to the potter to make the clay. Here's what God said in Genesis chapter 1 verses 26 and 30 at the creation. And God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness and let them have dominion. Underline that word in your mind there, dominion. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the fowl of the air, over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creepeth upon the earth. So God created man in his own image, and the image of God created he them, male and female created he them. Just let that soak in. Male and female created he them. And God blessed them, and God said unto them, Be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth, and subdue it, and have dominion. Over the fish of the sea, and over the fowl of the air, and over every living thing that moveth upon the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every herb bearing seed which is upon the face of the earth, and every tree in the which is the fruit of the tree yielding seed. To you it shall be for meat, and to every beast of the earth, and to every fowl of the air, and to every thing that creepeth upon the earth, wherein there is life. I have given every green herb for meat, and it was so. God created humanity as the creator, so we are his, and all the creation is his. But then he assigned or gave dominion to humanity over these parts of God's creation. So we have dominion. Now what, is, what does this word dominion mean? We don't normally use that every day in our, our language. Dominion, the word comes from domain, like kingdom. A king has a kingdom that he rules over, and that kingdom is his domain. That's where he has dominion. That's where he has the right to enforce with his authority and his, his choice and his selection, his ability to, to uh, cause or demand a reaction. It's his domain. God says we have dominion over creation. It doesn't say that we have ownership of created. We have dominion over it. This is the principle of stewardship. It's God's plan that humanity would manage what, was been, what has been created. To all the men in here, me give you some sound biblical advice straight from the book of Genesis. God created all of this. He gave dominion and he told Adam it was his job to manage 
creation. The first thing God did for Adam was give him a job. It was Adam's responsibility to work and provide and to have dominion. Those things that God has entrusted to you and I, he still owns them. But he has given us dominion. He's given us the right and the authority to manage them or to be a steward of them. This means we work for God in every aspect of our life. Some people say, well, I want to be self-employed. I want to be an entrepreneur. I want to create my own business. I want to do my own business. That way I don't have to have a boss. You give the entrepreneurs a heads up. Every investor and every customer becomes your boss. When you work a job and you have a supervisor and somebody complains, you can always say, hey, supervisor, so-and-so ain't happy. God says, I will let you manage it and be a steward of all that I've created. Here you go. Stewardship is often thought about in the aspects of money. And yes, stewardship very much applies to money and finances, but it's not just money. We can't let stewardship become so narrowly focused that we just think about it in the concept of money. Because God blesses us with more than money. He's blessed you with life. He's blessed you with health. He's blessed you with talents. He's blessed you with gifts. He's blessed you with abilities that your ability to do something may be different than somebody else's ability. And so the question then becomes bigger than just how do I steward my finances, but how do I steward my time, my talent, and my treasure? How do I steward something that is bigger than just finances? You know, stewardship is more than paper bills and metallic coins. Stewardship is about everything in our lives. You know, being a steward is more than just placing money in the offering bag on Sunday. Being a steward is intentionally choosing to set God's priorities first in every aspect of our life. And realizing that God owns everything. This is the principle of ownership. Stewardship is more than a singular act that we perform on a regular basis. Stewardship is a lifestyle. A facetiously moment ago, talked about if your car breaks down, go talk to the owner. While in the context we were talking there, that was humorous, and the intent was for it to be humorous, but the reality is it's a truth. Lord, you blessed me with this vehicle. You blessed me with these wheels. These are the wheels that help me provide for my family. These are the wheels that help me provide substance for my family. God, I need you to move and, and, and work out this situation with my vehicle. Do we pray those prayers and realize that God's the owner and we're the steward? Or do we just take it upon ourselves and take ownership of it? So this is the principle of ownership. The cornerstone of the blessed stewardship life is 
that while we may have been blessed by God with time, talent, and treasure, He ultimately is the owner of everything in our life that we manage. This is the principle of ownership. Now there's another principle that goes hand in hand, intertwined with the principle of ownership. It's the principle of accountability. Because it's one thing for God to own it and give it to you and say you have dominion to use it for anything that you want. You can use it for however you want. I give it to you. It's in your domain. You have authority over it. But the principle of accountability is using God's resources for God's purpose. So how I use these things that God's blessed me with is an accountability factor back to God. Am I using it for His purpose? In Genesis we read where God gave man dominion over creation. This means humanity has the ability to choose how they will use God's resources they manage. This is the principle of accountability. So, we answer to God on how we manage the blessings in our life. Let's go to Matthew chapter 25. Jesus is teaching one of his parables. I'm going to read from the New King James Version. For the kingdom of heaven is like a man traveling to a far country who called his own servants and delivered his goods to them. And to one he gave five talents, and to another two, and to another one. To each according to his own ability, and immediately he went on a journey. You familiar with this parable? Then he who had received the five talents went and traded them and made another five talents. And likewise, he who received two gained two more also. But he who received one went and dug in the ground and hid his Lord's money. After a long time, the Lord of those servants came and settled accounts with them. He who had received five talents came and brought five other talents, saying, Lord, you delivered me five talents. Look, I have gained five more talents besides them. His Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You were faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. He also, who had received two talents, came and said, Lord, you delivered me two talents. Look, I have gained two more talents besides them. The Lord said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a few things. I will make you ruler over many things. Enter into the joy of the Lord. We're at verse 24. Then he who had received one talent came and said, Lord, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you have not sown and gathering where you've not scattered seed. And I was afraid and went and hid your talent in the ground. Look, there you have what is yours. In other words, look, I didn't lose it. I kept it just for you. But his Lord answered and said to him, you wicked and lazy servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I have not scattered seed. So you ought to have deposited the money with the bankers and at my coming I would have received back my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has ten talents. For to everyone who has, more will be given and he will have abundance. But from him who does not have, even what he has will be taken away. This is the example of the principle of accountability. 
God gives it to us. He expects us to use it for his purpose. And then when he comes back, we are accountable to him. When the books of life are opened and people stand before God, you read in Revelations that the books will be opened. I believe the 66 books will be opened and I believe the book of life will be opened. And God's going to compare our book of life to the 66 books or the scripture, his word. And he's going to see if we were obedient in our actions to his calling. He's going to see if we were obedient to his commandments. He simply said, if you love me, keep my commandments. At that day of judgment, he's going to have an accountability. How did I spend my life? How did I manage my talents? How did I steward the blessings that God put in my life? Did I simply use them for my own good or am I accountable to God and I have a return into what he was wanting to do? Am I bringing it back to him? Our level of accountability is in proportion to the amount that God has entrusted with us. Each of us has been given life and we're accountable to God for how we steward and, man steward, steward and manage our life. To those whom much has been given in abundance in life, then there is required of them to be much returned in our life to God. The same applies to those who have little. If life has been difficult and struggled and, and the accounting of their life has, has been small, then God expects them to give back little. Not just in life, time, but what about our talents and what about our treasure? To those who have many talents, God has an expectation that we would bring back to him a return on his investment in us with our talents. If you have a talent, you should use it for the Lord. You should use it for the Lord. If God has blessed you with finances, then you should use it for the Lord. To what level of his blessing is the level of accountability it should be used to God? Those who have been greatly blessed financially should greatly bless the kingdom of God with their finances. Those who have maybe not as great of a blessing financially are held accountable to the proportion in which God has blessed them. The multimillionaire probably can bless the church numerically with bills greater than the person who doesn't have multiple millions of dollars. But that doesn't release the person with less from being a good steward of their less. And it doesn't release the person with much from being just as accountable for the much as the person with little is accountable for the little. God does not limit accountability Simply to those who have much. Let's go to Luke chapter 12. We're going to read at verse 42 through 48 again. Jesus is telling a parable. And the Lord said, Who then is that faithful and wise steward 
whom his Lord shall make ruler over his household and give him the portion of meat in due season. So God is looking for faithful, wise stewards who are managing the things that God has given to them. 43. Blessed is that servant whom the Lord, when he comes, shall find so doing. Of a truth I say to you that he will make him ruler over all that he has. And if that servant say in his heart, my Lord delays his coming and shall begin to beat the manservants and the maidens and to drink and to eat and to be drunken. The Lord of that servant will come in a day when he looketh not for him and an hour when he is not aware and will cut him in sunder and will appoint him his portion with the unbelievers. And that servant which knew his Lord's will and prepared not himself, neither did according to his will, shall be beaten with many stripes. But he that knew not and did commit things worthy of stripes shall be beaten with few stripes. For unto whom much is given of him shall be much required. And to whom men have committed such of him, they will ask the more. Again, we're just reiterating the principle of accountability between what God blesses us with and God's expectation that we bring it back to him and not just manage it, but we manage it for his purpose. We're not just stewards of what God gives to us. It's not just in our domain to make decisions on how it's spent. It's in our domain to make decisions on how it's spent for his purpose. This parable that we just read seems harsh. Seems pretty cut and dry. The steward was doing what the, the master had asked him to do, what the Lord had asked him to do. And, and he did all of it faithfully. But as the delay of the Lord's return took longer and longer and longer, the steward began to become more slack in doing it for the, steward, for the Lord's purpose. And before long, he began to consume the things that the Lord had blessed him with upon himself. He ate the abundance of the steward of the Lord's food. He, ate, he drank the abundance of the Lord's wine. He became drunken in himself. He began to beat the servants of the Lord. He began to abuse the maidens of the Lord. And he spent all that he had bought and prospered. To, he was going to return to the Lord. He spent all of that upon himself. And when the Lord returned, he was aggravated. He was frustrated. He, he caused judgment to come upon that steward. Lord, I want to be faithful, steward of my time, my talents, and my treasures. I want to be accountable to God for how I spend these things. This parable rings of the same tone as the parable he told of the widow's might. You familiar with that parable? Let me just recite it to you quickly. Jesus is standing in the temple with some of his disciples and it's offering time. And they're bringing their offering and they're depositing their offering in the, the basket or the bag or the box. I'm not sure. Just wherever the offering is received. And, and Jesus is watching as people are giving in the offering. Man, you'd get uncomfortable if people were watching you giving the offering. But Jesus is standing there watching. And this widow comes through and she just 
places in her little bit her might. Some have estimated, and it's probably changed from the time that I did the research. At one point, it was estimated to be about two, two pence, less than two cents of American money. It's probably not even worth that much anymore nowadays. Just barely enough to even count. Jesus turns to his disciples and he says, this lady, she's given more than all the rest. Now there's fishermen there. They caught fish. They sold fish. They've been in the marketplace. They got a business mindset. They understand commerce, the value of a dollar. There's a tax collector there. He understands money and trans and currency. And, and they're all thinking. She put in one tiny little coin. And all these other people that have been putting in pocketfuls and, and large amounts and Lord, there's no way that you can tell us that she just simply gave the most because we've watched all these others just dump in all kinds of, of money into the, the offering today. And he explains to them, she did not give out of her abundance, but she gave out of sacrifice. Her sacrifice was greater than the others who gave out of their abundance. She gave a sacrifice, excuse me, she gave through sacrifice a lesser amount than those who gave a larger amount out of their abundance. God holds us not accountable to the amount, but rather to the faith demonstrated by our giving. The principle of accountability is how we use God's blessings for His purpose. So we've covered the principle of ownership and the principle of accountability. God owns all of it. We have dominion over it and we're accountable to use it for his purpose. The principle next is the principle of reward. Let's go to Colossians 3 and 23. And whatsoever you do, do it heartily as to the Lord and not unto men. There's no gray areas in stewardship. Either you are a steward or you're not a steward. Stewardship's an all-in thing. It's like jumping in the water. You can't be in the water and not be wet. You're either in the water and wet or you're not in the water and you haven't gotten wet yet. You're either in a stewardship commitment to God and you're being a steward or you've not yet entered that commitment and stewardship has not yet become our moniker. The third principle in stewardship is this, the principle of reward. If we will be faithful stewards, God will openly multiply our blessings. Let's go back to the parable we read of the talents. He didn't come back and receive the, the five from the one who had given five and said, oh, I see you got five more. Let's, let's go over here in the closet and count out the abundance. No, he proclaimed. Thou good and faithful servant. 
the one who had two and came back with two more, four. He, he didn't take him to the side and say, oh, good job. He proclaimed it just as loud. Thou good and faithful servant. What we will do for God, he will openly declare. He will openly bless us multiples of what it is he has given to us. If it hasn't gotten uncomfortable, maybe it was will in just a moment with these next comments. Hold on. There are people who live life and they claim stewardship is their lifestyle. But they give out of their abundance. And they've never given to a point of sacrifice or a point of faith in Jesus Christ. A faith that says he's the owner and I'm going to return it to him and I believe he will openly reward us. We should give abundantly if we've received abundantly. And we should believe that if God can provide for the one who has little and they are expected to give sacrificially, then if I give out of my abundance, he can bless just as much. Matter of fact, probably more. There are some who call themselves stewards who give out of their abundance and, and they look at the amount that they've given versus the faith in which they've given. And so when life comes and maybe it's difficult or maybe they struggle and they have a hard time, they have a gift or a talent or an ability and they can recoup the loss and they're living inside of what they have manufactured for themselves. But God says, I want you to give in faith, believing that I can do the work for you. I want you to return back. Those that do manage well are rewarded by God. And the ones who do nothing are not rewarded by God. According to the parables, they are cursed by God. Stewards live blessed lives. Stewards live blessed lives. Here's how God made it very plain in the book of Malachi. Oh, here he goes. The preacher's always preaching about money. They go straight to the book of Malachi. They didn't go straight to it. I saved it to the end. Malachi chapter 3, verses 8 through 12. Will a man rob God? It's a question. The prophet says to the people, will a man rob God? Then he answers it. Yes, yet you have robbed God. And the response is, but how have we robbed God? But you say, wherein have we robbed God? And the answer is, in tithes and offerings. Ye are cursed with a curse, for ye have robbed me, even this whole nation. Verse 10. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse, that there may be meat in my house, and prove me now herewith, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open you the windows of heaven and pour you out a blessing that there shall not be room enough to receive it. And I will rebuke 
devour for your sakes, and he shall not destroy the fruit of your ground. Neither shall your vine cast her fruit before its time in the field, saith the Lord of hosts. And all nations shall call you blessed, for you shall be a delightsome land, saith the Lord of hosts. So God has an expectation for tithes, and he has an expectation for offerings. And we're going to cover those the next two Sundays. But verse 10 says, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. I think scripture is intentional. I think the wording of God is intentional. Tithing is, is a prescribed process to us through the word of God. We'll talk about that details of that next week. But if we're not meeting the prescribed process of tithing, then are we tithing? Because God said in verse 10, bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. I think language is intentional in scripture. There was no reason for him to call out all the tithes if there wasn't some people who were giving, calling it tithes, but it yet hadn't met the prescription for tithing. Bring ye all the tithes into the storehouse. The steward of their finances will receive an abundant blessing. Well, I have plenty. I have enough. If I just give out of my abundance, I still have enough left. What would happen if you gave in a point of faith and sacrifice that required God to open the windows of heaven and pour out his blessing on you? You think you live blessed now. Wait until you live in the abundant blessing of open windows in heaven. What would it be like if you gave sacrificially or with an, an abundant amount of faith and, and just trusted that God was going to take care of it. He promised us that he would open the windows of heaven and he would pour out a blessing. Not just any blessing. A blessing that you don't have the container to hold all of it. I'm still in the Bible, all right? We all good? We still good? The steward of their finances receives the abundant blessing. And there's no blessing mentioned for the one who is not faithful in their stewardship. Matthew 25 and 21, we read it earlier. The Lord said unto him, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. Thou hast been faithful over a few things. I will make thee ruler over many things. Many things I will make you a ruler over. If you want God to expand your domain... Expand the things that he's entrusted in you to steward, then you have to give him the just return on the things he's currently entrusted to you. What would happen if you walked up to somebody and you gave them 10 bucks and said, Hey, turn this 10 bucks into something and bring it back to me? And they come back to you and they turn the 10 bucks into 20 bucks. You're like, I can trust this person to. To multiply whatever I entrust into them. And so you're willing to say, hey, you know what? This time I'm going to give you 25 bucks. See what you can do with that. And, and they come back and they turn the 25 bucks into 40 bucks. And you're like, well, it wasn't the same increase as last time. But you're still, you're still turning around. You're doing a good job. You're, 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 you're making a return on what we're investing in you. You give somebody... 24 hours in a day and they come back and they've squandered 24 hours of their day and they've done nothing spiritual, how much are you going to be willing to invest in them more time? 
Oh, I just slipped into the spiritual side there. God says, whatever I've blessed you with, use it for my purpose. And if you are, then I will expand what I'm giving to you. I will expand your domain. And you will have abundant blessing. Stewardship and its reward were not a new thing that Jesus introduced. There are three primary topics that Jesus talked about. Heaven, hell, money. And money was at the top of the list. Money was the number one thing Jesus talked about. So when pastors are scared to preach about money in church, I don't understand it. Jesus talked about money. I'm not scared to talk about money in church. It's in the Bible. It's all throughout Scripture. It's the expectation of God that we would be faithful stewards to Him. This wasn't new thing that Jesus introduced. Jesus was just reiterating principles that had already been established in their culture. And God's expectations for His people. Matter of fact, if you go back and you read the Mosaic Law, the law that God gave to Moses, the Ten Commandments and, and all the rituals and procedures that followed those Ten Commandments, you'll find out that there was nothing introduced in the Mosaic Law for stewardship. It already existed before the Mosaic Law. Matter of fact, we've already read it today, that stewardship was a part of creation. Adam, it's your responsibility to have dominion over all the creation. Let's look at Joseph, and then we're coming to a close. Joseph, the youngest of his family, hated by his brothers, rejected, an outcast. He didn't have abundance. He didn't have extra. If it wasn't for the favor of his father, his brothers probably would have took away his necessary need. He was just surviving on just enough. And his father's love. That feels like being a Christian some days. Surviving on just enough. And our heavenly father's love. That is enough. It's more than enough. Joseph didn't have abundance. Joseph didn't have a track record. He couldn't lay out a resume of stewardship accomplishments. Matter of fact, when he got sold, he was sold into slavery. And as a slave, he was taken in and just given, you know, small little responsibilities. I'm the Lord of this house. This guy's over at the vegetable garden. Whatever he tells you to do, you do it. You're the low man on the totem pole. You get to do the manual labor. The Bible says everything that Joseph touched was blessed. The Bible says Potiphar's house was blessed because of Joseph. And Joseph, I don't know. I didn't get the story didn't go into this detail, but I just, I just see Joseph's working in the garden, and, and his vegetable rose better than the other people's vegetable row. And the Lord of the house says, man, you're doing a great job. Vegetable garden, Lord, you're fired. Joseph, you're over all the vegetable garden now. 
And then not just Joseph's row is good, but he trained the others, and the entire vegetable garden becomes good. And he says, Joseph, this is great. You're, you're doing a great job here. I wonder if your influence and your, your abilities could help in other areas. And so he goes over the cattle and the vegetables, and then he's over the sheep and the vegetables, and then he's over the entire farm outside. And he's like, man, if you can do this so great work with, with the farming outside, I want to bring you in the house and see what you can do with the things in the house. And before long, Joseph is Lord over everything to the point that the owner didn't even know what all he owned. A boy who was hated by his brothers, barely had enough and survived off the love of his father, sold into slavery, now rules over the house of an Egyptian captain of the army. This is what happens if you're faithful in a little bit and you trust God in a little bit. He'll expand your domain. And there will always be those who want to come and mess up your process. There will always be those that want to come and rain on your parade. And Potiphar's wife was nothing but a rain cloud. And so she lied on Joseph, and you know the story. Joseph ends up in prison, and, and Joseph, who felt like he'd reached some level of accomplishment in Potiphar's house, now finds himself at the bottom rung again. Now, now Joseph is an Israelite and an Egyptian prison. I don't know if you know anything about prison, but sometimes there could be segregation issues. Especially back in their day. He was not favored by the prisoners. He probably got all the terrible prison tasks. But again, he would do the work. He was faithful. He had a talent to lead. He had a talent to multiply. And before long, the Bible says that he became not just the head prisoner, but he became leader of the entire prison. The jailer said, hey, Joseph, you just take care of it. Let me know if you need anything. Now my brain just goes in a hundred directions and says, what was the jailer doing while Joseph's taking care of the jail? The Bible doesn't tell us. But Joseph's leading the jail. So much so that he then begins to have influence with Egyptian prisoners. They have dreams and they come to him. It's the example to us today that if we'll be faithful in the principle of ownership and say, God, you own everything that's in my life, and we'll be faithful in the principle of accountability that says, Lord, everything I do with what you've given me is to do it for your purpose and for your kingdom, then you can be assured that the principle of reward will be in your life. He will multiply your domain. So this morning, the vital question I feel I must ask you and I, how am I doing with my stewardship and my accountability? Because if we get stewardship right, the rest will fall in together. Would you stand with me this morning?
corner. This morning, if we could all just come to the front. Just want us all to come to the front. There is an unprecedented revival coming. Coming to Live Spring Church. We hear reports from our missionaries across the sea that revival is already happening in the earth. We hear stories and, and testimonies that revival has already come to America. Just this past Friday night at our youth rally, three, maybe more, received the infilling of the Holy Ghost. We're excited for those young people and what God is doing in their lives. Revival is here. The outpouring of the Holy Ghost is here. The raising up of disciples is here. And it's coming to the heartland. It's coming to Live Spring Church. But for it to flourish and grow, we have to be faithful stewards. We have to be stewards of our time, our talents, and our treasure. So this is the question I have. If I need to ask you about revival coming to church. Will we be ready for revival when it gets here? How hungry are we for revival? What happens when there's 10, 20, 30, 50 spiritual babies sitting in these chairs and somebody needs to disciple them? Who's going to be a disciple maker in their life? Somebody who's willing to steward their time. Somebody who's willing to steward their talents. Somebody who's willing to steward their treasure. How will we lead these people into a deeper relationship with Jesus Christ? I'm hungry for revival. I believe you're hungry for revival. I'm hungry for God to unleash unprecedented revival among us. And I believe it's going to happen as we become more committed, faithful stewards and we begin to prepare for what it is God's going to do here at Live Spring Church. So I'm asking you today, are you a steward? Are you maximizing God's blessings for His glory? Thank you for listening to the Live Spring Church podcast. Join us in person on Sundays at 11 a.m. Visit us online at livespringchurch.us.